Welcome to Classic 4x4, the podcast for and by Classic 4-Wheel Drive enthusiasts. I'm your host, Chris Piccone, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Classic4x4 underscore trucks. Also, make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast listening platform and check out our website at Classic4x4.com and make sure to reach out to us if we can help you sell your classic, custom, and modified truck or 4x4. Our vision has always been to build beautiful, functional vehicles, not show trucks. I always hated car shows where you just invest your life in this car and you take it to a parking lot and open the hood and sit in a lawn chair next to it. These trucks were built to be used. Welcome to season three of the Classic 4x4 podcast. As everyone knows or may not know, this season is dedicated to listener requests for guests and topics. So uh, today we actually have our most requested guests, which uh, many of you may already know because you've requested them. We got well over 200 requests for today's guest. And today's guest is Sean Barber from Anything Scout and New Legend 4x4. What's going on, Sean? Yeah, man. Glad to be here. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. I am equally glad for you to be here. We have a ton of common friends who helped to link us up and we finally get to, to speak with each other. But I have to give credit where credit is due because I did mention as, as part of having season three being all listener requests that I would uh, give some shout outs to the people that requested the guests or topics. And in this case, we had like well over 200 listener requests to hear you. So the people want to hear Sean. So I can't name all 200 because that would be a show in itself. But the person that I can name who was actually the first to request you, which is a mutual friend of ours, which is Pat Kessler. And for those of you that don't know Pat, or actually goes by Patrick Kessler, Pat can be followed on Instagram at Scout Legacy. He has an awesome patina scout, which is a complete sleeper, which actually I think you did the LS swap on. Yeah. Yeah. The, the drivability conversion. Yes. And I believe did, you did a ton of, ton of suspension work on that also too, right? Yeah, we can talk through what I mean by drivability conversion, but we used to use the term LS swap, but then it quickly evolved into addressing everything related to the driving characteristics and interaction of the driver with the vehicle. So it was a whole thing. Yeah, his truck received that full treatment. Which I actually, I think is on the Anything Scout website too, when I was doing a little research today. The picture is, right? Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember. I think we might have done a a video, um, one of our driver series videos, but yeah, cool story. That's one of my favorite stories. He's had the scout for 20 years, has already created tons of memories and experiences in it. And then just giving it a reboot and a new chance at a new life. And really exciting. I love it's a that. complete sleeper too. When you look yeah. at it, it's just this like patina sunburst. Was it, it's called, is sunburst yellow or sunshine? Yeah, yellow? The yeah, factory I can't color? Yeah. yeah. I think it's like sunburst yellow or sunshine yellow. And you look at it and you're like, Oh, that's cool. Like my shade tree mechanic kind of slapped that thing together. And all of a sudden you pop the hood, you look underneath it, you look inside and you're like, Whoa, there's something serious with this. Uh, that's right. And most importantly, it's well used. And I, I, that's my favorite thing. Oh, he has it on the trails. He's got his rooftop tent on it. And Patrick is just a great guy in general. I'm very fortunate to know Patrick because he happens to live like two beach towns south of me. And we know each other from the classic four-wheel drive community here in the Jersey Shore. And we have some mutual friends. And hey, he put us together. So again, the credit goes 
to this episode to Patrick Kessler. Check out his scout at Scout Legacy. You can follow him on Instagram at, at Scout Legacy. But without further ado, let's talk a little bit more about Sean. For all of you out there that aren't familiar with Sean, Sean is one of the founders and runs Anything Scout, which is basically the premier parts uh, reseller distributor of Scout Parts. They also do drivability conversions, which we're going to talk about a little bit more, but also is one of the founders of New Legend 4x4, which I love talking to investment quality builders. And anybody that's into Scouts, New Legend 4x4 is the premier investment quality Scout builder out in the world. So if you don't follow them on the social channels, follow anything Scout, New Legend 4x4, go check out their websites, check out their work. And let's talk a little bit more about it, Sean. Everybody wants to know who is the person behind the businesses. Like, How do you go from being a guy in the Bay Area that acquires this little like parts, scout parts business in the Bay Area to next thing you know, you move it out to Ames, Iowa, you launch New Legend 4x4. Like, where did the passion come from as a young buck? And how do you end up to where you are today? Yeah. So I actually grew up in Connecticut. So a fellow East Coast guy in a Man, it's, it, it, I was grateful to have that that upbringing in rural Connecticut because it was just a lot of open land and a lot of woods to explore. And so I always, and I had a, a father who was not like necessarily the best teacher, but he definitely enabled and allowed us a lot of, a long leash to like, so I think as a little guy, I was always taken apart like appliances and just Really good at taking things apart, not so great at putting them together. <laughs> but then that, that in middle school, it was into like bicycles and like riding mowers. I had this the privilege to grow up next to a landfill. And and my father knew the owner of the landfill, and he used to let us like go through this. And, the, and, and back in the day, they had garbage, wood and construction materials, and uh, metal. And so we'd go to the metal section and get bicycles, find like fully ready to run tractors, like lawn mower, riding lawn mowers and like just all this stuff. And so we always had stuff like that happening. And then when I, for my 15th birthday, my dad bought me a 69 C10 pickup, short bed fleet side, two wheel drive. No way. And within, so that was when I was 15. By the time I was 16, I had six, like six of them. And I was buying and selling and put it, taking parts. I'd take the 307 out of one, put it in, in another one and take a 396 big block and put it in my truck. And I just had this whole little business going, which is funny as I reflect on that now. And then when I was 18, I moved to California. And funny story. Oh, after the C10, I got this 1970 Buick Skylark for 35 bucks. And, I had, and through my C10 business, I'd acquired this... GMC Sprint that had a really hot motor that was like this car was like legendary around Bridgeport, Connecticut. And so I took that motor out and I, when I moved, I had to junk the Buick, but I took the motor. It was a Chevy 350. And actually when I moved to California as an 18 year old, I had a suitcase and I shipped my small block Chevy out with me, which is really funny. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then I met my now wife as a young dude. And she had just bought a brand new 1994 Jeep Wrangler, a YJ. 
And I got the opportunity to just, and in California, there's a lot of open land. In the Northeast, there's not a lot of open land to go four-wheeling. So out West, though, is this whole new world of off-road adventure. And so we took her 94 Jeep Wrangler and went to this place called Hollister Hills and just started off-roading. And I put a lift on it. I started building that, but I just never loved it. I, I just didn't resonate with the great fuel injection and... Just the modernity of the platform, I just didn't love. And in 1995, we got married in 94. In 95, my wife's or my brother-in-law bought a 78 Scout, and I drove it, and it was like love at first drive. The size was just it's smaller than a Blazer or a Ram, but bigger than a Jeep, like a CJ or YJ. And so I just loved it. So I went out in 1995 and I bought my first Scout, 79. can't remember. There was a kind of a one-off color. It was Maroon Rally. And it had a blown engine. I got it for 1000 bucks. And then the good news is I had a small block Chevy sitting in, my, in a storage unit. So I started the process of putting that Chevy engine into the IH, into the IH Scout. And so, yeah, I've never... I didn't come into the Scout space as like an IH international harvester brand loyalist i came in loving the scout and i really thought aesthetically it was just the perfect vehicle and to this day when i drive a scout 2 especially like my favorite thing is like original patina completely stock that's just even though i love and appreciate the the trucks we build there's something about the time machine that is driving an old vintage four by four that's original. That's awesome, man. Yeah, when I drive, I'm just like, this is the guy I want to be. I, want, I just want to be like that throwback guy. What's, what's crazy though is in the mid 90s, you bought a Scout 2 that had a blown engine. You paid $1,000 for it and you overpaid for it back then. <laughs> it was like rust free and it was probably, it'd probably be like 15 grand, 20 grand as it sat. Yeah. But what's, yeah. what's also part of this, the narrative to a lot of Scout owners is by 1997, I had four of them. I had a couple, a couple 800s and another Scout too. And I set off on this journey because, again, I didn't love my wife and I. We were both working and busy and doing okay. And I think we had... I don't know. We had a, my wife drove a Jeep Grand Wagoneer in 87, that's so why we brought our first son home from the hospital and we sold that and then we got her a Land Cruiser. So she had this a decent newer car and we, I sat down and I'm like, hey, we need a, I need a car. I need a vehicle. So rather than going out and spending 40 grand at the Chevy dealer and buying a new Tahoe or s- Suburban, let's take 35 to 40 grand and put it into my Scout and make it like a legit daily driver. And so that started this process in the late nineties of, of, and that's how I got into the scout space. Uh, And I met this guy, Jim, who owned anything scout. And in the late nineties, it was doing pretty well. But by the, by, by 99, it was some stuff had happened and he lost his lease to his shop. So he was literally in a junkyard with a cell phone shipping used parts. In the Bay Area, though, right? In the Bay Area, in in East Palo Alto. So it started in Mountain View. And it was, I think, scouts were 
there was a pretty robust business in, in, in the Bay Area for scouts, but it was all around making them off-road vehicles because they were a cheap, tough, capable platform to go do the Rubicon or go do Fordyce or just go up into the Sierras. So they were not too many people were daily driving them or loving them like a multi a multi-use vehicle. They were just like rock they would turn them into rock crawlers. Um so anyway, bought the business uh and because I saw the I saw this potential in my own experience. I'm like, I love these vehicles. I'm a I don't know 25 year old dude and i'm just like in love with this platform and i noticed that the the community the ih community was a bunch of old timers at the time like dudes who are probably in my age now who are like in their 40s and 50s grouchy didn't want to spend any money and that proved true when i bought the business i'm like i was doing like a ton of repair work and i was doing everything it was like my my father came down and helped me a couple of days a week. I had one or two kids, young guys working for me. And we were doing a lot of spring overs, a lot of differential work, gears, lockers, roll cages, and then tune-up stuff. While running the parts business also. Taking parts orders, fabricating mm-hmm. bumpers, painting vehicles. I was doing it all. Not the greatest, but I was doing my best. Because <laughs> yeah. you're just learning. So when you bought this business from Jim, you basically yeah. bought like just a bunch of parts in a junkyard and a cell phone. Dude, not the small. I was I didn't know what I was doing from a business perspective <laughs> uh-huh. at all. Uh-huh. So and what I realized was I paid too much for the business for the junkyard and the used parts and the and t- to be fair, the thing I put the greatest amount of value in was the Lightline dealership. So there was a central parts distributor called Scout Lightline. Mm-hmm. That basically started out uh, when International Harvester shut down its light line. Scout light line came in. This guy, John Glancy and Rod, I can't remember his last name, Rod. This guy, they, they came together and started Scout light line, bought all the inventory from International Harvester, all the rights to the parts. Um, really instrumental in keeping the brand alive. So I appreciate their work. But we at the time, it was California's only light line dealership. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And, and I thought it was protected. So about within five years, there was like five other light line dealers in California, gotcha. which, which kind of chapped me a little bit, but it was fine. More the merrier. But yeah, but what I realized was I invested all, I took equity out of my house. Fortunately, we had, I scraped together all the money I could to buy this business. And then when I I had my new shop. I was, it was a small shop that I was paying too much rent for in, in San Jose. I was like, I have no capital to do anything. I just spent all my money buying this business and I got a 30 year old compressor, a broken lift, like all the, all this, like just terrible tools. So it was a rough, the first six years was really, I probably aged 15 years in a five year period. Cause I was working 70, 60 to 70 hours a week, just trying to make ends meet in a lean market. But I had this vision and the vision that kept me going was bringing scouts to a new generation of people. So that was my operating ethos. And what I was discovering was that new generation of people does not necessarily have the skills or interest in fiddling with a carburetor or adjusting points. And Moreover, 
the infrastructure had changed. It was changing. Like when I was growing up, every gas station had a mechanic on duty and there were these mom and pop gas stations and you could get your car fixed easily. But as those were turning into convenience stores and they were dropping their garages um, and mechanics and cars were getting uh, frankly, more more reliable and less in lower maintenance with fuel injection, just different things. I just saw that changing, and so, and I was not a, an IH loyalist. I was a drive a scout loyalist. <laughs> and so by 2003, we had done our first LS swap, and that was pretty cutting edge back in the day. And we always tried to, to in, in this idea of bringing scouts to new generation of people. We always tried to be like looking at what's next. So at first we had no website, but then we had a website with just a static parts list. That was the website. Parts and how much they were. Nothing you couldn't order. And then e-com integration. It was poorly just call the 800 number and we'll tell you if we still have it for that price. (laughs) But then we were the first company in the scout space to have an e-com site. We were the first to to do a lot of things. And that was always because we were trying to reach a new generation of people and get scouts in the hands of young people. And yeah, it's, and so it was an exciting time. But by 2006, seven, I was totally burned out. Mm-hmm. I had four kids at, by then, and my family was important to me. And as we talk about family in real life, I essentially said, hey, I need to work, not just out of passion, but out of like duty to, to provide for my family. Because my wife was working in the tech field, and by the time our third uh, kid was born, my second daughter, she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And we both did. We wanted that for her, and that was so I was like committed to doing that. But the irony was, I'm like I was working to provide for my family, but I didn't really have a family anymore because all I did, all I had knew was the shop. I was at the shop seven hours a week. Yeah, yeah. and so I'm like something's got to give here, and. California at the time and still to this day is, is a tough place to do business. There's a lot of regulation, a lot of it's high tax. There's a lot of opportunity, but we were getting, we were servicing the entire country for scouts and people would ship us their, their scouts to work on them. So I said, okay, it could be strategic because I don't, I didn't want to be, this is just me personally. I didn't want to just be a mechanic my whole life. I love working on stuff and fixing things. But I wanted to build like awesome new scouts. And so we said like centralizing to the Midwest. And I had never even been to the Midwest. I grew up in Connecticut till I was 18, took a plane, flew across the country to California. So I lived on both coasts and I resonated with coastal people, but I knew nothing about the the kind of center of the country. And so yeah, we had a friend that moved to Iowa and he, he was like Hey, come visit us. And so we visited and we're like, man, we just took this big, my wife and I took this collective deep breath and just said, man, this, the pace is so slow here. Like this, we could build a cool shop here and actually get a bigger space than 1100 square feet for three grand a month. And so we did it, man. We started putting things in, in place. And then that move also almost killed me because I drove back and forth from California to Iowa, probably 15 times moving all of the stuff. And so did your friend live in Ames, Iowa or? Yeah, he, he had moved from the, he moved from the Bay Area to Ames. 
Okay, gotcha. So just on a whim, you visit your friend, you're like, you know what? I'm going to move here and I'm going to move my entire business to from the Bay Area to Ames, Iowa. Yes. Yeah, Crazy. that's awesome. I love that. And, and it was great, man. And and so we were able to buy a building and then, and I've always been a guy that likes to invest in people. And so I've found success in hiring young people and then training and mentoring and building them up and equipping them. And in 2008, by 2010, I'd had about three or four guys, young 18 year old, good character, hardworking guys who are now leading our team and who are 15 years later, they're the heart and soul of our team. And as in, in the early 2000s, bringing scouts a new generation of people, I always had this looming, lingering question in the back of my mind, what's next? And what would be the ultimate expression of our craft? As we were learning like how to restore, how to make scouts better. And what you learn from manufacturers, I know you've restored a few Jeeps. You learn, you get to dissect and understand the things that they did wrong. For example, scouts rust pretty bad. And one of the reasons is they didn't use any coatings. Like you could get some Zybart or Zbart coatings mm -hmm. from the dealerships, but outside of that, they would stack like three layers of metal. Like in the rocker area, there's three layers of steel sandwiched together with zero coatings in between. And so over the years, as salt and moisture gets in there, they just seam rust and you can't easily fix that. So as our so we had this, like we were doing these restorations for 30, 40 grand and just losing so much money. And I'm like, man, there's got to be a better way to find, to just make these things super good, man. Just make them way better than factory. And at the time, by the time I, in 2013, we did our first YouTube video at the time, mm -hmm. most businesses were engaging and promoting through forums. Mm -hmm. And I just never liked the forum platform. I don't know why. I'm in that boat too. It's just, it doesn't appeal to me either. I'm not one that's in forums. Like I, I will say I'm in, I will go into Facebook groups here yes. and there purely because I have to tell you the wealth of knowledge you can get out of a Facebook group, but yes. it's, it's more organized than a forum is. But on the same boat, we are definitely in agreement there. That's like the last three to four years, right? Facebook groups have really come to their own. So in 2013, we made our first YouTube video and that changed our whole business. Because it was able to, to relate what we do to people's real life experience. And that is they, they dream about their scout. They get a scout. And in their head, it's like this certain experience of them with their hair blown in the wind, like going camping, like doing this stuff. And then, But the reality is you put the key in, the ignition's probably broken. But if you get it to turn over, you have to pump it 10 times. And if you don't get the sequence just right, it's flooding out and it's just running like junk. And then it's scary down the highway. And then I over-revved the 304, threw a rod, threw the bottom <laughs> exactly. of the block. And exactly. then like, the Torque Flight 727 started to shimmy a little bit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So anyway, then uh, by 2016, and I'm sorry to talk so much, but in 2016... We had a we got a call from a, a friend named Cam who owns a company in New Hampshire called Nemo Equipment, and we were dreaming about what's next. What is the mm -hmm. ultimate expression of our craft? Meaning, so we've modernized the engine and drivetrain, but the suspension and chassis is still old, and it still rides like a fifty-year-old design vehicle. So I had this idea of taking a Jeep JK chassis and retrofitting it onto a scout and making it look proper and be proper 
because our vision has always been to, to build functional, beautiful, functional vehicles, not show trucks. I always hated car shows where you just mm-hmm. invest your life in this car and you take it to a parking lot and open the hood and sit in the lawn chair next to it and go ask me questions about, no, I want to go use these trucks were built to you be used. And so that's, but anyway, those, these forces came together are these ideas and a customer that would actually give us the thumbs up and go for it financially, even though we still lost a ton of money on that build, <laughs> but that launched the, the new legend model at the time it was anything scout building a new legend model. Mm-hmm. And then it just evolved and we continue to build, try to build a strong brand, which is different than just running a company. When did you spin off New Legend so it became its own entity? Like when I look at anything Scout is the parts and drivability yep. conversion yep. side of the business, correct? Yep. But then New Legend is a separate business, which obviously leverages all the amazing resources and platform that That's anything right. Scout has. But New Legend really is a in what I call, and again, this is a Paul Potratz quote that I stole from him when I interviewed him. And for those of you that don't know Paul Potratz, he is he owns Helderberg. Very similar story to what you mm-hmm. have is he wanted to have a daily driver defender and then ended up founding Helderberg. And Helderberg yes. is like the premier mm. investment quality defender builder. And I look at New Legend as the premier investment quality scout builder out there. So at what point did you Thank make that you. transition and say, I'm going to have a separate entity, a separate business that's going to leverage the platform of my existing business that is going to build these impeccable, bespoke investment quality built. By 20, really 2017, 2018, we had fully made the the transition. And I think one thing that's important is competence. And competence comes from caring and skill and reps. Like when I see companies out there, whether regardless of what platform they're working on, but when they've built one or two, our first couple new legend trucks are good and they've held up and stand the test of time. But our newest trucks after we've, I think we've built maybe we're in the thirties to forties range, like 30 to 40 rigs. I I should know that, but man, you start to to get excellent at doing it because you, it's like this art, but you have to do it the same way over and over to get mm-hmm. really repeatable results and reliability. And that's been a, it's a hard business. And I, man, we have, I hope you can come out to Iowa sometime and check out the shop. Cause our guys are the heroes of the story. we have about, I think we have about 20 people on our team and they all care about what they do and they support each other. And we learn from each other and they're all committed to, the funny thing is I'm always the bad guy because I'm like, we got to get this truck done because if we don't get it done, and, and that's one of the most difficult things about the bespoke high-end business is timelines because you go like you tear into this body. And I one thing I love about the scouts and about our story is we're committed to real steel, like scouts mm-hmm. with a story. Like every scout that we restore has a story. It has a previous life. I, I just had a customer – come out and we were looking at pictures of his starter truck Mm -hmm. 
And oftentimes, unfortunately, it's, it's passed through five or six different families. And, we, and you don't really know the story. But this truck had this gold miner on the hood, like this hood emblem. And when I showed that to the customer, that was, he was just like, that's amazing, man. He's, and he's this big NFL guy. And he's just like, do you have that gold miner? And so as he was looking at his new legend truck, we're like, this is what he knew from pictures that this is what mm-hmm. his truck looked like. And this is the story that I know. But being able to hand him that little gold miner emblem, he was just like so stoked. That's and, awesome. Uh, and, because I think, and you tell me, I think, and I don't know about the Land Rover space, but in the Bronco space, I would say most companies don't even restore, they're not restoring Broncos. They're just building them from scratch. You see it a lot in the Bronco space. It depends. I'll tell you in this, in the Jeep space, in the CJ space, you pretty much, and I've done this myself with a CJ8, is started literally with a VIN tag and a title and built it from ground up. And what's crazy is you can pretty much buy almost all those parts right. on outside of the frame, a throttle down customs frame and, and some Dana 44s and obviously the AMC engine, the Tremec, the Tremec transmission, yes. the Dana yep. 300 transfer case. The bulk of it, you can buy almost all those parts on Amazon. It's wild. It's, it's, crazy. Abso- it's absolutely wild. But you see it ground up and it's more accepted in the Jeep space than it is in the Bronco space. In the Bronco space, they it's very similar to the Jeep space where nobody wants fiberglass tubs, right? And it devalues it. But people want steel tubs, but they're okay with steel repop tubs versus the original steel. Like I'm a very analytical guy. I I'm I am constantly looking at the market, valuing the market, looking at trends. And I have to say, I will say that the numbers that do, the the vehicles and the trucks that do the best numbers are the ones that are the most original, that have the most original components, which sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. It definitely takes longer. A lot longer. And I'll tell you, like, I am, I am going through this right now. I bought an 82 J10, Jeep J10 with 63,000 original miles. The thing was bone stock original. When I tell you bone stock original, amazing. But you learn that rubber dry rots, right? Yes, there's not any rust on it. And it lived its entire life down South in, in a dry climate, but when you go to change the sending unit and your mechanic drops the drops the gas tank and he's like, yeah, there's a there's a, actually a crack in this gas tank. And oh, by the way, all your soft lines on the entire fuel That's system right, are dry rotted. And he's uh, you know, OK, so what started as a sending unit is now a, a new fuel system, right? Everything but hard lines. And then he's oh, hey, also notice that while we're talking about dry rot, Every single rubber component of the cooling right. system is also dry rotted. And all the seals, like your water pump's weeping a little bit. <laughs> so it's right. probably got to be resealed. So at that point, we're going to pull the water pump off. So might as well just replace it. And then I got to take the radiator out anyway. So let's just replace the radiator. Send your, <laughs> so then what starts with a sending unit, replacing That's a right. sending unit is... All new soft lines, all new in the fuel system, all new tank. And then it turns into a whole new, all the new soft lines in the cooling system, a new water pump, a new, and then it just like snowballs. So yeah, originality is great, but there's, yeah, it's old stuff and it's got a, it it has a life expectancy. But I will say at the end of the day, the more original a truck is, the more willing a an educated buyer is willing to pay a premium for it. 
Yeah. Even it does trust me, it could be a new legend investment quality build, right? But if it has the original truck, the original tub, obviously it's going to have the original frame, but the original Dana 44s, but have obviously been rebuilt from top to bottom. People like the 304s, the 345s, the Torque Flight 727s, but people love. And this is actually another wild thing that I've noticed where you do an LS swap in a CJ and or a 350 swap in a CJ, people are like, nah, I'm not really interested. I want an AMC 401 or a 360 or a 304, right? Or a 258, which, hey, by the way, 258s, which is my favorite engine, we're in Great. early That's scouts right. for a while. Yep. Great engine. But there's other other models like Broncos. Man, you do, you do a, a Coyote yeah. swap in a Bronco. I noticed that. You add hundreds of thousands of value, dollars worth of value, but you do an LS swap in a Scout, and you throw the value through the roof, right? Yep. And that's what's, you have these unique trends in the market that are unique to all the, these different makes and models. And I think you have done an amazing job um, catering to that market and maximizing the value in these bespoke investment quality builds. That's right. And I talk a lot about intrinsic value here and inherent value. And that's one of the things is people need to realize that a $25,000 Scout can be overvalued and a $250,000 new legend Scout can be undervalued, Hmm. right? Yeah, that's that's, crazy. And that is the market forces of inherent value. But before we go any further, I want to ask the most important question that I ask every single guest on this show. And I think you already answered it, but I just want to clarify it. What was your first car or truck? And was it that C10? Yeah, I mean, I did. Uh, we just had, again, like an. My mom and dad were great, and they allowed us to have junk cars around. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that C10. But the funny thing about that story is, I never drove that C10. <laughs> I had it like big block turbo four hundred. I had it all built, and I just couldn't afford a drive shaft because like I didn't mm-hmm. know how to make one in my garage. And then I was just, I would sit out there as a 15 year old, just and start the engine and rev the crap out of it. <laughs> and I, th- I think I threw a rod in the motor <laughs> sitting in the driveway in, in neutral. But yeah, so I think it's hard. I had so by the time I was 17, dude, I had 40 cars. Well, so what was the first one that you got that you like drove when you got your driver's license, you drove it to school? I think it was a Pontiac, like a 1984 Pontiac Sunbird, four-cylinder, 2.5-liter sun, four-cylinder with a four-speed. And it was <laughs> rear-wheel drive, so I could just do the best burnouts. And then I got handed down when I was 17. My father had my grandmother's 69 K5 Blazer. Whoa. Really beautiful truck. My dad was made the worst mistake in his life, g- giving it to my brother, my older brother. By the time I got it, it was on the, these 35 gumbo mutters with primered black, and it was hugger orange. It was like it was a beautiful original truck, and we just destroyed it. Oh. And, then, and before I moved, we sold it for blew the transmission and sold it for 500 bucks. And what a, <laughs> only, what a, only if you knew. I actually just bought a square body. Oh recently. yeah, like, I love I, I just an all. I just bought, and actually, I have not mentioned this on the show yet. So the first classic truck I ever bought and restored was an 81 CJ7. And I had that for almost 15 years. Wow, that's a good run. It's the one that I said I would never sell. And I just sold it actually two months ago. 
Wow. I just sold it two months ago to make room. I just wasn't using it anymore. I put it up for auction with the 4B guys and had a great successful auction. But, and ironically, through a friend of a friend, a guy in the town I live in had heard that I was uh, auctioning it off. And he had approached me a couple of times to say, oh, if you ever sell, if you're ever going to sell it, let me know. Everybody says that. So when I take that always with a grain of salt, because then you're like, hey, I'm going to sell it. And everybody's like, oh, hey, yo, well, the timing's not right for me. Like, whatever. I didn't really mention it to him. I just had, through a friend of a friend, he had found out that I was auctioning it off. And the good news is, though I don't own that truck anymore, it's still in my town. A guy in town ended up winning the auction. And I see him, him and his family driving it around all the time, making their own memories. So I don't regret selling it. I don't regret selling it, but... Because I see them driving around, it didn't go to a rando in the middle of nowhere. Right, you know, yeah, that's went cool. To I love I somebody love that. that I can see enjoys it. But my next, I was going to buy a scout. I've been ultimately looking for a scout for probably over six years now. I follow the market closely. I look at every transaction out there, and I have learned. And it took me a long time to learn this, but. I am not capable of restoring my own scout. I need somebody with, like you said, with the expertise, right? That's like right. yourself, our common friend, Dan Hayes at Binder Boneyard, right? Somebody that knows what they're doing. And I, that's one thing where I will say, I'm usually one that will never buy. I will always build. In this yep. case, when I do pull the trigger on a scout, it's going to be one that's built and built by the right person because that is such a unique world. There, There's so many little intricacies and understanding. And like you said, 90% of them are just rotted to, to here and back and some stuff can be fixed, some stuff can't. Like it, There's only so much you can do and buying a $20,000 scout in the end turns into a $150,000 scout. A hard you know, way real, and then not yeah, fun the hard way. way over several years. That's right. Um, And the worst thing that I see happens is people go down that path and and still have a truck that's worth 20 grand after they put 80 into it because it just wasn't the the right recipe. It wasn't the right quality. And that's something that I think is we've worked really hard to be consistent and steady. Like we we say we've been, we just celebrated since so 2001, I officially took over so that's what, 22 years in business. And we're going to be around for another 20, at least, as long as I'm alive. But that's important. You want it, That's, that's yeah. part of that value is like you're buying a truck with a warranty. You're buying a truck with mm-hmm. a, a team behind it. And when there's that consistency in our drivability conversions through same ethos in the new Legend brand, is we want to make them serviceable. So if you notice like some high-end builders, like, Boyd Coddington's street rod out the engine bay where you can't see any of the AC lines. You can't see any wiring. It's all just mm-hmm. sheet metal. And it's, that's the most unserviceable thing. I, I always look when I see the trucks like that, I'm like, that, that truck wasn't meant to drive. Yeah, And that's cool. Some people like that, just like collector quality, or they're going to take them to a car show and open the hood. But our trucks, if you're out in Moab with one of our new legend scouts, we want to, we want to make it so that a local mechanic, if something goes wrong or something breaks, it can be serviced by by a competent mechanic kind of anywhere in the country. And that changes how you build things and, and informs the decisions that you make on how you do things, repeatability, all that kind of stuff. It comes down to the knowledge, the historical knowledge. Like you said, from the first one you built to the 50th one you built, 
you've evolved. And it's, it's that alone is having it built, having a scout built correctly and competently takes experience that the average person just doesn't have. Yeah. Speaking of that, on our drivability conversions, I think we've done over 230 LS based drivability conversions. Wow. Which some of the purists, I'll speak to this, some of the purists get mad at that and say, we used to get messages like hate, hate mail in the late, tw- in like the 2014, 15 range. Uh-huh. Like you're single-handedly destroying scouts because they're not, because the argument is if it's got a, a non-IH motor, it's not a scout anymore. Mm-hmm. Because they put Jeep motors in them and they put Nissan motors in them from the factory. So I guess those aren't yeah. scouts either. Yeah, of course. And a little known fact, the 345 is IH branded, was I believe built by AMC. I don't know. I th- I always thought it was built by IH because it's an, it's an, in the SV category. Same 304, 345, 392, 266, all the same architecture, mm-hmm. little subtle differences. And the 196, the mighty 196 and 152. The four cylinder. But yeah, but yeah, we don't, and we honed in on a specific brand, the GM based. Like we get so many requests, like will you put a Hemi in it? Will you do a Coyote? And it's no. Which man. That's right. Yep. It's, you just know when that's, you have that experience and you can do it blindfolded with your hands tied behind your back because you have the experience and the expertise to do it. But when you drop these LSs in, there are things that are, you're dropping a modern powertrain. That right. has an OBD into a truck that OBDs didn't even exist when <laughs> when they were for the nine years that Scouts were manufactured. What are you doing for what's the process? So let's talk about the drivability yep. side of it, right? Yeah. So, so the drivability side, you're doing the powertrain swap and the electronic components of the vehicle and the suspension, correct? Yes. In any shop, this should be a yellow flag. So to all your listeners out there, mm-hmm. if if you talk to a shop or an individual about dropping an LS into your vintage four by four or a coyote. And and that's all they're doing. They're Mm -hmm. not rewiring it. They're not addressing. So anyway, that's a problem because you have this 50 year old platform Mm -hmm. with 50 year old infrastructure. Now you're going to put a modern high horsepower engine into it. And it, it just can be a dangerous situation. And yeah, our drivability conversion is, LS modern transmission, which is another, it's another silly thing to use a 727 and put an LS in front of it. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? The T, yeah. a T19 four speed with an LS could be cool. I, that's one of my favorite manual transmissions. But so we'd like to keep that integrated technology. So engine, transmission, transpace, exhaust, cooling, all the big dogs, like the, the electrical system, everything is redone headlights to taillights, rebuild the axles new drive shafts, new suspension. But where it gets into the difference, like the anything scout difference is, again, it's a drivability. So what is part of the drivability? The crank windows, like rebuilding the door so that the door latches work correctly. The doors, the windows roll up and down properly. The vent windows work. We rebuild the heater cables. So like the heater, so the heat and air conditioning actually works. Mm-hmm. New not new sw- ignition switch, wiper switch, heater control switch. So anything that the driver is interacting with is what we discovered is when we were doing a $17,000 LS swap, we would air quotes, the customer would, that's a lot of money for some people. And they would get it home and go, my windows still don't roll up and down. My doors don't close correctly. My seat doesn't work on the slides. 
my gauges don't work. It's what's the point. And so mm-hmm. now, now our drivability conversion is upwards of 50 grand, but it's in all, I will say from Dan to Ice Parts America, all the quality builders in the scout space mm-hmm. approach it. Maybe not quite to, to that drivability conversion extent, but they're not just slapping it up. Cause we get all the time, man, like we're, they're like 50 grand. I called my local mechanic and he said nine grand. He'll do everything. <clears throat> Good luck. Go do it. it. And then call me when you call me when you get it back and exactly. you want, and you're willing to pay the 50 grand. And I see that happen all the time, man. People do. It's, it's, it was, what is that saying? It's stepping over dollars to pick up pennies, pound foolish, penny shy, pound foolish, whatever. And I'm, I'll be honest. I've learned the hard way and been guilty of it myself. Mm. Right. And every time I try to make, I almost make that decision. I stop myself and step back and say, Whoa, that's not, you do it right. You do it right the first time. And again, back to intrinsic value. That's right. <laughs> and that's the majority of the population does it that way. Same with paint jobs. When you take a rusty mm-hmm. scout to a paint, a, a local body shop and go like paint my scout. And they're like 10 grand. Well, Dude, we put about 700 hours into every body restoration. Yeah. It's like someone asked me how much to paint my scout, and I'm like, probably 70 or 80. And I know that sounds crazy, but it, we're blowing that body apart. Like, and we have mm-hmm. jigs, and we're reassembling the body with coatings, better designed. Like, Panels. for example, we redesigned like the cab mount and wedge because just the way it was designed, it collected dirt and moisture, and it mm-hmm. in- inherently just rotted out. Mm-hmm. And we have guys that have done restored 30 bodies. It's just, it's, and it's not fun work. No, it's valuable. No. It brings value and it's, and you can be proud of what our guys are proud of what they do, but it's hard work. And finding somebody, and I've talked about this in the podcast before, finding somebody to do high quality, classic vehicle body work and restoration is hard enough in itself. You can go to 10 body shops and say, Hey, I want you to refinish the body, do the metal work and paint it. And all 10 of them will tell you, no, Oh, sorry. We don't do that that business anymore. We only do collision business Mm -hmm. because then unfortunately the insurance industry has destroyed the body business because it's the only way for a body shop to survive is literally through collision work. Right. And collision work today, the old school metal workers and painters, those guys are dying off. That's a dying art because now you get in a little fender bender and you need to, you need to have your hood and your driver fender and the HID headlight unit replaced. All they do is literally take those parts off, put your VIN number into an ordering system Mm. and brand new color coded painted parts get delivered the next day. And you just have disassemblers and assemblers there's really no body work anymore it's you don't have anybody there is no craft there's no art to it anymore they're not taking that hood off and pounding it out and straightening it out they're not taking that fender and straightening it out they're literally just throwing it in the metal pile to get recycled and taking new stuff that amazingly how efficient our world is already pre-painted all these body panels that are pre-painted and just putting them back together and that's where the industry has changed where they're again, is an immense amount of value. Unfortunately, I have an amazing body shop that will do classic work on the side from their collision work. Yes. But 
when you do find that guy that is good, has a good shop with the right people, it's not cheap. And it's, when people and it's come not to me and say, quick. Yes, it's not quick either. <laughs> people come to me and they're like, hey, hey, can you refer me to my to your body guy? And I'm like, I can refer you, but he's not going to. He, he, he has literally 10 clients he does this type of work for, yes. and I'm one of them. Yeah. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I was like, even if he was willing to, do you understand the cost yep. that it would take? And they'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. There's just like a rocker panel that needs to be like cut out. I'm like, yeah, but there's this. Like, you have 10 grand worth of just metal work before they even start refinishing the body. That is $30,000 worth of worth of body work that needs to get done by the time it's all said and done. People are like, no way. Yeah, and that's why you bring up a good point on we are all about people doing work themselves. And on anything Scout, another unique, uh, distinctive about our business is we've worked a lot, really hard and spent a lot of uh, our income and profit on creating content to educate people. Mm-hmm. It's from even like our driver series videos, as much as they're promoting what we do, we mm-hmm. try to make them e- educational so that you, the customer can go, can ask the right questions to that local shop or be suspicious when it's, that doesn't look, I've seen pa- under the hood of Patrick Kessler's truck, mm-hmm. what you're doing doesn't look like that. Why? What are you cutting corners? Why are you doing this? One little thing, for example, and we learned this just through experience is like when you see like the air intake on a fuel injected vehicle, like Coyote mm-hmm. or LS, and they put the air intake like right by the head, like right over the side of the motor on like right above the exhaust, mm-hmm. not realizing that You're as heating that, up the air. That's right. Which then <laughs> the engine detunes itself. And we learned that on the dyno, like that we were losing yeah. 25 to 30 horsepower due to high. So, that, so then we, redid what we do and we put it into the inner fender but those are like subtle little things that we're trying to educate people because we just want to see people enjoying their scouts and we believe the scout is like this sounds dumb but it really is like a dream machine it's it's a portal to adventure like when you're driving you could be having the worst day in the world and you hop in your old scout or your old cj or your old fj or your old bronco and the day just gets better it might get worse if it's if you if it breaks down, <laughs> which is always every time you turn the key is always a variable, man. It, like I always tell people, it's not if it's just when. And unfortunately, the when happens at like the absolute worst time, right? right. You have the best night out, like having dinner with your wife, yeah. and you're just like, this <laughs> night is going great, like everything is firing on all cylinders. And I get in that that early '80s CJ, and I turn, and you hear nothing. And you're like, oh, this is going to end in like a tow truck ride home and yep. an Uber. But that's the fun of it, man. That's just, it's it goes with the territory. It is fun until it's like the fifth time it happens. <laughs> like, yeah. Do this anymore. And your wife says, she's, you know what? I'm not driving these trucks with you anymore. It's, it's right. not happening. Which is actually, I just bought a 1990, all original 1990 K5 Blazer. Excellent. Uh, so yeah, this thing is immaculate. It is unmolested it is all original the previous owner who is a a very prominent collector who i bought it from did a full powertrain rebuild on it but kept it all original everything works down to the the light blue floor interior i love it's automatic it has air conditioning yeah and i will tell you that's the one car when i say hey i'm gonna go to the garage i'm gonna pull we're gonna go out tonight that's the one where one car where my wife says yeah that's cool no problem 
Yeah. Every other car, the J10, a CJ, whatever it is, <laughs> like, a defender. Nah. She's like, oh, please, can we take the regular car? Can we take the... That's the one where she's like, okay, no problem. We we took it out to an Avery Brothers show last night, That's you know, awesome. up at BNC Bank Art Center. But let's, uh, let's, let's, let's switch gears here a little bit because you just ran in a Scout Terra, a custom-built Scout Terra, the Nora Mexican 100 race, which... A Mexican 1000. No, I'm sorry, Mexican 1000 race. So... First off, where did this little figment of your imagination that turned into an idea, that turned into reality, that turned into you running a thousand miles in a custom-built Scout Terra? How did that all happen? Back to that dream machine. I've been, for probably 10 or 15 years, the the gym guy that I bought anything Scout from, Mm -hmm. he happened to own one of four, roughly four, factory sponsored factory backed Baja race trucks. Okay. So I'd always seen that truck around and I love history and I just love, I love understanding what did it feel? That's why I love original trucks. Cause like when you're driving a bone stock, that J 10, some mm-hmm. dude 35 years ago was driving that same truck. What was he thinking? What was he going through? Mm-hmm. That's what I, I love putting my, I love feeling that feeling. And man, I've always just like, what those early Baja guys are just, they're just the dudes, man. They, they were just going out to this unknown, no GPS, no internet. Like they would just get this hand-drawn map and go, go race down the peninsula in Baja. And to and me, that's just, crude, like yes. carbureted engines yes. with no air conditioning in the, oh, of in course the not. heat, like yeah, and primitive I mean, suspension and just yeah. throw, throw a ton of shocks on it. And so I wanted to feel that. I wanted to experience that. And so I built, I'm restoring that, that Scout. And, and, we'll, and we have to do another episode because Scout Motors, who's launching the new Scouts, like they mm-hmm. are relaunching the brand, they partnered with me and, and they're one of my key sponsors to make that Baja dream happen. And we together are bringing Scouts back to Baja. Because the last time a factory, the last time a real factory-backed truck raced in Baja was 1982. This guy named Sherman Balsh, and that's the truck that I own. So I'm restoring that truck, but that restoration's a big deal because it was literally like a roll cage and some crates of parts. It was very abused and very mm-hmm. neglected. So I just wanted to build a period correct Terra and I, I, or a race truck, and I had this four-cylinder Scout Terra that me and my son were like, we uh, was sitting for 10 years. We got it running, and we're like, what, do, what should we do with this Scout? And we were sitting having coffee and I'm just like, you want to race Baja? Like this, like next year, this was in 2022. And he's like, heck yeah, let's do it. (laughs) And then I went public. And then once you say, state something publicly, if you're going to be a man of integrity, you got to do it. And so, yeah, I started building it and I didn't really know how to, I knew how to build trucks in our team. So we just built this period correct vintage race truck with a four cylinder and we came in second place in our class and we finished 33 hours, 1300 miles. And I drove the whole time, which I was, I'm 49. And I was like, will I be able to drive 12 hours a day for five days straight? That's um, insane. In a four um, cylinder. In a four cylinder. Which in, in, and, uh, With the 196 or? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it really changed my life. And it was wild. The, one of the top three experiences of my life. And it was so cool. I was just watching some helicopter footage of the race truck and I'm like, I can't believe this is legal. It's just go as fast as you can. 
which is not super fast in a four cylinder Scout Terra, but <laughs> we get up into the in the mid sixties, which over rough terrain is pretty impressive for an old Scout. Mm-hmm. And, and man, so impressed with the Scout. So we have we're running again, and Dan Hayes, he's going to help be on the crew next race. Mm-hmm. He's the guy to have on the crew, man. Yeah, it, for I'll sure. tell you, Dan. Like, I'll give I, Dan's going to listen to this because it's you and I. Who he's a common friend of both of ours, so he's going to listen to this. So we got to give a little shout out to to Dan Hayes, a binder boner. And I will tell you, in getting to know Dan, and I can I will call him a friend now. I have to tell you, when, when it comes to the scout space, there is nobody out there who has the technical acumen. And the mechanical knowledge of a scout. I've never met anybody that has that level of technical acumen and and mechanical know-how and knowledge with a scout. So to have him on your team is is absolutely amazing. Trust me, there are some people that come close, but he is second to none. And he's always so super helpful with me. So that is the guy to have on your team when you're running the, the... the the Mexican 1000 and there's a mechanical issue that needs to get figured out in the middle of the desert. And he just embodies the spirit of it and he'll partner with our crew and it'll be a great thing. Yeah. We're doing some fancy stuff. I'm working with a a company called JMS engine builders. There's a company in Nebraska that's building the Sherman Balsh 392, which Mm -hmm. is 12 and a half to one compression, big hydraulic cam for an IH motor. The, The rumor is that motor, the 392 Sherman ball struck dynoed out at 350 at the rear wheels. Mm-hmm. The race Terra with the four cylinder was stock was probably uh, like 65, 70 horsepower at the rear wheels. <laughs> it's but, like a tractor. They, they think we can build a, a, a horsepower per cubic inch. So I'm getting like this Hogan racing manifold is building a custom a billet aluminum two barrel intake for the 196. Like we're just, we're having fun. Like the old racers, it, 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 like getting creative, digging deep into the wells of like possibility. It's really cool. You mentioned something earlier when we talk about the drivability conversions for that anything scout does with the LS is like one thing. And I look at a lot of scouts. I've probably looked at hundreds of scouts and said no to all of them, but the wiring is a unique issue where a lot of times it's hacked up. There's Mm -hmm. stuff isn't working. What do you, are you custom building harnesses? Are you using custom are you doing them in-house or using like a like a company like PSI Conversions that that builds custom wiring harnesses for LSs? Like, what are you doing to cross that? Because there's no painless like out of the box harness. There is for CJ's, you know. Uh, there actually is. So we partnered with oh. American Auto Wire. Okay. We met them at SEMA like three years ago, and we helped really do as close to a plug and play harness as you can get for a scout with a really good detailed instruction booklet. So that's. Mm-hmm possible but there's a couple like quick wire there's a couple aftermarket harness companies the key i think is yes new componentry and consistency like we mm-hmm. route the wires the same every single time so if patrick kessler calls me and goes hey my truck's not starting my guys can go oh go check this fuse mm-hmm. and it's sure enough that fuse is that's it or this wire like when you do everything the same over and over it's a little boring for our techs but you get predictable, consistent results. And it's hard, man. Think about the recalls. Like I, I heard just uh, on the radio or the uh, podcast that Hyundai or Kia just is recalling. Another recall. Like 90,000 vehicles. Mm-hmm. And they're building like in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of vehicles. 
So a small shop like ours that's building building 30 trucks a year, which is a heck of a lot more than two or three a year. Of course, um, yeah. But you start to get good, and there's always little issues. So we try to put 500 miles on every truck that goes out the door, which you wouldn't think that's hard. But when you have four trucks a month, three to four trucks a month being built and delivered, test drive, putting 500 miles on all those trucks all the time. So like our guys, like they're just, it's awesome. Cause we get to drive awesome scouts around. Yeah. But it's, at the end of the day, it's okay. Who's taking this one home? Who's taking this exactly one home? How it is, man. Like, are you guys going on a trip this weekend? Great. We need another 300 miles on this. <laughs> exactly. you know, it, it almost gets tedious though. It's a ton of fun, but you got to yes. work these things out. Cause that's, that's the right. only way what's going on. And if there's an issue is they have to be worked out. And, and if you've seen any of our new legend trip videos every year, we take and pa- Patrick's going on, we're doing a Southeast trip in October. Mm-hmm. In South Carolina, we're doing the, the South Carolina Adventure Route, SCAR. Super cool. And we like to, that's so important to us because it gets our customers, it, it just helps curate an experience for them so that they can do it on their own next time. But we, we talk about navigation, how to use the four-wheel drive, how to do everything in the scout and actually go camping. Oftentimes, it's a new experience for them. Um, but for us, it's like the ultimate durability test. We get to take these bespoke high-end vehicles out on the dirt and out on the rocks. And, and we're doing it so that they're not, we're not going to like take them through something that's going to destroy the vehicle, but yeah, they have front and rear lockers. They're capable, competent vehicles. And so that's a big thing for us is getting them out on a, on a thousand mile road trip and using them. And, and these things are they're purpose built and that's what they are there. I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm not like a car show guy. That's not my thing. I don't go pull them up. We, and it's funny, Patrick Kessler, back to Pat, Patrick Kessler and I actually, the only car show that him and I will do is our friend, Mike, who owns uh, evolution auto spa. That's the only one just cause we're friends with them and we're willing to do yeah. it. It's the only one I'll do in a year. And meetups are great. Like it's fun to get do meetups and cars and coffee. Like I'm, I'm into it, but yeah, I just don't love, I don't love when our trucks sit in people's collections. I, I, our, my ultimate dream is that people just get to use them and create memories. I want to go out, lock the hubs, drive on Island Beach yes. State Park out for 10 miles, fit, fish, surf fish all night long with a, a bonfire going with a couple of buddies. Epic, that, that, that's, epic. that's epic. That's my idea. Not sitting in a lawn chair next to it with people asking me questions. Hey, what year is it? And right? to like, that <laughs> point, it's more epic. If you just had a, a 2019 Gladiator or mm-hmm. whatever... It's just, it's way more epic in the J10, dude. Way more epic. I just epic. say, if you look on my Instagram, you can see I just had my J10 out on Island Beach State oh, Park, man. driving it out of sand the other day. That's I got to tell you, Sean, this has been a ton of fun catching up. We've never crossed paths before. We have a ton of common friends, but I'm glad that you were able and you had the time to to join us today on the Classic 4x4 podcast. Um, and I know I can guarantee you all of our listeners, especially the 200 plus listeners that requested to hear you, are going to enjoy this episode too. And we only got through about half of what you and I wanted to talk about. So yeah. I think in future seasons, there might be a Sean Barber, Anything Scout, New Legend Part 2, because there's a whole bunch more for us to unpack here, man. Yeah, we got to talk new scouts. We got to talk more technical stuff. But yeah, really yeah, cool, man. I appreciate you, your persistence in reaching out to me. And uh, it's a pleasure and, and a privilege. Oh, to be I on will your stalk show. you like an ex girlfriend to get you on this show. <laughs> <laughs> you did a good so. job. 
All right, man. Hey, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time and your participation. And and I hope to talk to you soon and cross paths with you soon, man. All right, Chris. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, brother. Wow, that was a lot of fun to talk to Sean Barber. Anybody that has that much experience building that caliber of International Harvester Scout is an absolute pleasure to speak with. Again, if you have not, checked them out. Check them out on the social channels, Anything Scout, New Legend 4x4. Check out their website, both websites. They are the go-to place, not only for International Harvester Scout, parts, their drivability conversions at Anything Scout, but also their bespoke investment quality builds coming through New Legend 4x4. But stay tuned for our next episode where I won't divulge the guest, but give you a little hint. We're going to be talking about JDM Classic Trucks. Stay tuned and have a great day.